Hello and welcome to our podcast channel, What Matters? Conversations Exploring Psychosynthesis in the World. This is Susan Jukes-Allen, founder of Synthesis Center San Francisco. Join us, along with our hosts, Craig Behenna and Christina Gustafson, in conversation with psychosynthesis practitioners in the fields of coaching, health and healing, business, spirituality, education, and the arts. Conversations to inform, inspire, and ignite your call of self. So hi, Lesa. Welcome, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Craig. Uh, I wonder if we can start at the at the beginning by just asking you to introduce yourself to the people who might be listening, and just give us a bit of a rundown of where you work and the kind of work that you do. Sure, sure. So I think it also I would expand maybe a spec on that just to for people to have a better sense of who I am. But I'm a, a wife, a mother of two children. I have been in the field of human resources for over 25 years and mostly in higher education. Um, I also think that uh, in terms of who I am, it's just important to note that I am a lifelong learner that kind of ties into how I ended up um, really pursuing the psychosynthesis work. Can we talk a bit more about that then? Psychosynthesis tends to come to us from a number of different angles. And I wondered what it was that actually brought you to psychosynthesis uh, in the first place. What was it that piqued your interest? So um, kind of goes back a bit. So I really, as a younger person, always felt just super connected to something bigger than, than just myself and had always um, a lot of interest in energy work and helping others, being of service, which really in a way is how I ended up in human resources. And so, for example, in the late 90s, I studied Reiki and polarity therapy. But, you know, working and having raising two children, I really wasn't able to practice at that point. And, but I loved, loved the work. And then I also, um, not too far ahead of that, had completed my undergrad in psychology part-time in the evenings while working uh, full-time and was really looking for more, you know, kind of what was, what was next. And so I had considered over time different graduate programs and either timing wasn't right or just something about it didn't work out. So fast forward to um, God, 2015, I learned of psychosynthesis as luck would have it through a couple of synchronicities and had never heard of it and um, looked it up and was just completely taken by it. Had a phone call with John Scotland, who's one of the um, people I then trained with, with Dee Dee Furman at the Synthesis Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. And I just was hooked, absolutely, absolutely hooked by it. What was it that hooked you? Oh, wow. So really the holistic approach and the fact that, um, you know, you, you could come at this from all different uh, walks of life and bring to the work that richness, the diversity of who you are, and it just complements. It's it it really it's it's a really dynamic dynamic tool um, set of tools that are that are offered, and 
it just seems to come even more alive the more you know yourself and and bring and bring that to it yeah i i have to say that's also been we were talking about this before we hit the red button and um yes i completely agree that, that that's been my experience as well of having a background in psychotherapy and a little bit of psychology but mostly psychotherapy the process of um, psychosynthesis is something that you actually do with yourself as well as learning the learning the, the method that allows you to bring what you have already done to the work which is something that i think um I think a lot of people really resonate with, and that's one of the reasons I think your answer is pre- a pretty common reason why people find such a um, such a, a really great uh, fit for psychosynthesis and their work is that you don't have to exclude anything. You can actually bring a lot of things um, that you already do to the to the work. I've had a little bit to do with people who have been involved with Reiki over the years, and I wondered what that energy work in particular might have helped with uh your work with psychosynthesis you know i i think that it's for me how i connect with others and it's a very gentle form of energy work and it's really about you know when you think of our training and presence which is a really important aspect of of the psychosynthesis work it's also a super important part of really you know any anyone who's a practitioner working with with people you would imagine presence being super important. But I think the, the Reiki training and just just being in someone's energy, another human being, and facilitating a space that is safe and welcoming and people can actually relax, which in the world is not always um, as easy to do as one might think. So I think it, it lends itself to the work of psychosynthesis because I think those are qualities that are important when we're working with um, folks as coaches. For sure. And I'm glad you mentioned presence because I want to come back to presence a bit later because you discussed that at some length in the chapter you wrote in The Call of Self. There's a contemporary phrase that's come up called holding the space. Yes. But I think also that really starts with um, the way that you are and the thing the thing that you bring um, to a, a client dynamic or um, any kind of dynamic, really. Um, I'm also curious about how your nonviolent communication training feeds into your psychosynthesis and, and vice versa, because I think the communication aspect is something that is very important, obviously, within the dynamic of psychosynthesis, but I think the nonviolent communication process in itself is something that is increasingly important. And also, I think we can see, particularly in our social media, our laden world is particularly neglected in contemporary society. Right. So that's, that's an interesting question. I think, for me, it's a kind of a fundamental awareness of ways that people communicate with one another and kind of the the patterns that we fall into so for me it's it's this layer of um again awareness that is really helpful when i'm working with people because um folks don't always realize that they might be struggling in a situation often involving another person or people and aren't always able to in the moment without it being reflected back to them, see kind of their part in that, I guess, is the way I would say it. And nonviolent communication, it's the way I was trained anyways, it uses this analogy of four chairs and it just is the simplest way to, to, to remember it. Um, and so just being able to talk to people 
about that can be, you know, one of those little aha moments that can help uh, reframe how one looks at a situation. And again, another set of tools to help kind of empower people to, to move forward in a more positive way. For sure. And I, I really like that aspect of not just the awareness of language, but also helping people to have that awareness of their part in a given dynamic that they might be that might just be slightly outside their conscious awareness language and context actually can really make a big difference right the chapter that you wrote for the book the call of self and for people who are listening and don't actually haven't had the opportunity to look at the book itself the call itself is a collection of chapters by 30 different psychosynthesis uh, practitioners, the aim of which, one of the aims of which is to give people an introduction to the different ways in which psychosynthesis practice can be used in a wide variety of settings. Your chapter uh, is titled this, A Synthesis of Gender. I wonder if you can tell us a bit of background about how you came to write this chapter for the book. I would be happy to. So really, it's been um, a huge part of my own personal journey. And um, Came about happened to come about um, when I was doing the psychosynthesis training. I mean, not not I mean, a couple of years ahead of starting the training, or I guess a year ahead of it. And so the timing was um, was perfect. Going through the training, as I think we already mentioned, it's an opportunity to do your own work, and this definitely was an aspect of my life that was um, and still is very important to me. So I felt very supported by the training. And I haven't really explained any details yet, but basically um, at the end of the training, we had this opportunity that Dee Dee Furman offered anyone who was in that, that training or had trained with her previously to write a chapter. And she actually encouraged me to think about this because she knew of my personal situation and she felt that it would just be a great opportunity, not only for people who are coaches who maybe have less experience with uh, working with transgender clients, but also I think she just knew that it was an important thing for me to do, kind of define my own voice with what this has meant for me. Really ironically, it ended up, I, I hadn't thought at that point much about what it means to be an ally, but really in writing this chapter, it presented this opportunity for me to step into this in a way that felt like I was also supporting the, um, in this case, uh, two people that I knew who had transitioned and really informed, you know, why I was even writing this, this chapter. Right. And I think you've, you've touched on uh, something that we mentioned before we started to record, but we both agreed was something quite important that the sort of forms the framework of this whole discussion, actually, that the the chapter and, and this discussion is very much about how to support. And we were, we were talking before about how, you know, I'm, I'm very much the, um, the six foot straight white guy. So in, I'm very aware that as we go through this uh, conversation based on, on gender, that this is not something that in the standard Western society I have a lot of issues with or have had a lot of issues with, um, not in this context. So I'm very aware of having conversations about people who aren't here as I was saying to you before but we were talking about exactly what you were saying the the ability to be an ally and the ability to show support as something that's really fundamental 
in a coaching relationship, but also in any relationship, and that that was that's very much the framework of your chapter and very much the framework of how we're talking about it here. Right. I was I was looking at social media last week, which is generally a bad idea. But um, I, I was on Twitter, which is generally an even worse idea. But we're we're talking at the end of 2019, and it's the way to get a lot of information about how the bushfires are going in Australia at the moment. So there I was. Anyway, I was looking at Twitter, and I saw a a tweet from a member of Congress who reiterated the idea of gender being binary, and. I bring that up because one of the things that that there's been quite a lot of research on and that you refer to in the in the chapter that you write is that the the notion of gender being binary has kind of been moved on from by quite a lot of cultures in the world and also by contemporary science. I wondered if you we've I've got the chapter in front of me of course but I wondered if you wanted to talk about any of the things that you'd that you'd read or researched or experienced around that. You know, I only really touched the surface of, of um, I mean, there's just so much to that, but I found it very kind of validating, I guess, is the word that comes to mind, to know that this is not something new. The, the one um, thing that pops in my mind as relates to that is the um, two-spirit, um, which is a, a term that I think some people are familiar with, and that is... Um, tied to the indigenous peoples and it really references this you know one person embodying what would you know be two genders you know male female and if you're thinking of it in terms of the binary that's been around for for quite some time that's not not new and so it it kind of makes me scratch my head a little bit as to how we got where we got like how it is that it is this binary and I the only thing that just in my very simple way of, it, of thinking about it is, you know, we live in a world where we like to label things, it seems, whether it be, you know, a diagnosis, uh, you know, uh, like an illness or mental mental or physical illness or just the way someone is. We live in a world where your gender is labeled. And it just struck me in doing, you know, the reading I was doing and coming to know um, people more, you know, personally who are transgender that that is just um, so unnecessary. It's just not not even accurate. One of the things I that resonated for me in the work of psychosynthesis is uh, Roberto Assagioli's polarity map. And I didn't do a lot of, um, I didn't talk about it as much in the chapter as I, in retrospect, would have liked to have. But really that map, which, you know, is looking at opposites, which is, which is in everything, right? I mean, the world but that as above so below you know as within so without um uh, those are terms and you know love and hate um pleasure and pain, all polarities so really when i thought about the name of the chapter um that's what i had in mind a synthesis of gender for me is really looking at this male female binary or um in psychosynthesis terms of a polarity and the the synthesis of that is really honoring all the qualities of masculinity and femininity and understanding that we we all carry those qualities in us and some are more prominent than others. Um, it's just a whole different way of thinking of thinking of gender. So you know you hear terms like gender spectrum, for example, and that's really what that's referencing referencing is this um, very fluid, boundless 
way of thinking of, of gender. Yes, actually, one of my favorite quotes that I actually pulled from that section of the chapter is you're, you have a line where you say gender can be fluid and boundless, a synthesis of those qualities defined as masculine and feminine, <laughs> and that its expression is deeply personal. One of my first meditation teachers was a Vietnamese teacher, Thich Nhat Hanh, who talked about interdependence versus the mind of discrimination. And he would say that the mind of discrimination does exactly what you're suggesting. It separates things and then it labels them. But by the very definition of labeling, you are including some things or some aspects and excluding others. Whereas in the reality of the world as we see it, the basic experience of our world from moment to moment, that's not actually the case. We make these distinctions in some ways to make life easier for us, but that doesn't actually make life easier. Right. And of course, you know, um, language is, you know, it's a part of how we communicate. And so we reference male, female, but I I think just helping people to think about it more in terms of qualities and um, not this kind of black and white distinction, which there is just so much to it. Um, It's, I mean, gender is a very complex thing and it's not that simplistic. And there are a couple of things that you mentioned to me in the, the couple of the emails that we sent back and forth before we started talking about this. A couple of really interesting and simple tools to help people um, start to understand the difference between uh, gender identification and gender expression that I think is really quite helpful when talking about just some of the, the questions that people will start to face when they, if they do start to work in this area of gender fluidity. And you were talking about the gender unicorn and the gingerbread person. Can you talk to people who might not be familiar with those, what they are and the very simple and very, I found very useful ways of uh, helping people to understand the difference between, for example, um, identification and expression. Right, right. Because again, you know, it just, I know myself growing up, I never thought about this for a second. Um, So it's been quite an education for me as well. But the idea of, um, so for example, gender identity is really the, that sense of who you are, which um, is very personal and kind of the way I grew up, you know, I'd look at someone and I think, Oh, they're a man or a woman. I mean, you just, you know, based on what you see, which is really gender expression. So expression is more the outward appearance, um, could be clothing, hairstyle, um, mannerisms, and identity is something, again, very deeply personal. So someone may, may um, buy, again, those things I just mentioned, the clothing, hairstyle, etc., may appear to be more masculine, but they might say that they are more, more feminine. And that is their own personal identity and, and what resonates for them. And um, similarly, this uh, also correlates with how we are romantically attracted or not to other people. And then also it gets into the um, gets into sex and, and anatomy. So these things are all parts of what make up what we call gender. And I, this um, image of this genderbred person is just um, a really fun way of, of easily showing this and just showing um, that 
there there again is this range of what that means. It's not just a singular thing. It really can mean different things to different people and that that's okay. It's about honoring that. One of the articles that I I read, the Time article that you sent me that I think is also in the in the bibliography of your chapter, there's a there's a quote from a Sarah Oswalt, a health professor at University of Texas in San Antonio, who says that in older generations, people were often told what feelings to have. And, you know, I certainly relate to that. I think that certainly up until very recent era was very much the norm. The rest of her quote says that the college students I'm working with today really say, it's okay for me to be me, whatever that is. And I, th- I think that sort of talks to what you're, you're talking about regarding the inner investigation of how people actually experience themselves and gender rather than taking on the um, the definitions that might have been much more prominent and prevalent in, in earlier gen- generations and certainly when I was growing up. Right, which includes, for example, um, gender stereotyping, you know, the, the roles that a culture or society would, would say goes with someone who's more masculine or more feminine. I mean, even that is at question, you know having thought about some of these issues more recently that uh, a lot of the the gender identification that was that's put forward for a lot of people really doesn't fit at all and i think there's a, there are a number of cases even for people who are not working in the in the doing the work of gender fluidity have experiences where the which will come up in a a therapy framework i've had this experience with clients who have um, really been damaged by gender expectations and stereotypes and that's before we even get to questions of gender fluidity the 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 damage of this has has been quite widespread could i add to that thought actually please so one thing um i'm i'm realizing that i mean there could be some people who would listen to this who maybe um maybe loosely know what it means to be transgender you know just the the definition versus cisgender yeah actually that would be a good clarification if you'd like to do that that would be great yeah so so transgender is is just simply um that one's gender identity so what we were just talking about differs from the sex they were assigned at birth so the biological sex and and trans in latin means means a, a, a cross um so it's kind of spanning and cisgender um, your identity matches the sex that you were assigned at birth, so your biological sex. And and I think um, one of the things that I don't know, Craig, if you've ever heard of the the, the privilege checklist. Yes, um, I was going to ask you about that actually. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like it's 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 interesting because if you really you know in your life have not had experience with anyone who's transgender or gender nonconforming, anything other than, you know, kind of more the binary, it's sometimes hard to understand really what are their, what are people's struggles who are transgender and, and what are some of the, the things that we just take for granted, having privilege, the, the privilege that we have as being kind of in the, the group that would be considered the, the norm. There is a cisgender privilege checklist, and I think that if anyone is really serious about learning more about this and trying to understand what it means for someone, you know, kind of what they what they experience, I would encourage um, folks to Google this, look it up. But just a couple of the points that are made on this 
very long checklist. So someone who is cisgender, which um, again, their identity matches the sex that they were assigned at birth, you know, that they are born with. One of the things that they would experience um, versus a transgender person is, for example, strangers do not ask me what my real name is, in quotes, and then assume that they have a right to call me by that name. Um, I, I guess in the workplace is, is, the, is the best example I can give. Often when someone fills out an employment application, for example, they are asked to put their legal name. And their legal kind of given name may still be um, a name that they were given at birth and not the name that is their name at this point in time. And so it it's something that for someone who is cisgender, we don't have to think about that. It's not something that even crosses our mind or those we meet. And so that's considered a something that's that's one of the privileges that we have. Also with health insurance and the care that we receive, it's not ever a question by the healthcare professionals, for example, or when we go to have um, certain tests done, that there would ever be any question. But for people who are transgender, that is not the case. And sometimes things that are very much needed um, in terms of medical procedures are denied. They're not covered. Um, there could be healthcare professionals who, you know, have not had experience working with transgender people. So it is um, can be really quite emotionally painful. The, the only other, I mean, there's a whole ton of things I could point to, but the other thing um, that I think is very, very prevalent is it comes through the lens of safety, but um, someone who is cisgender, you know, you need to use a restroom, you go to the male or female restroom and you don't think twice about it. Someone who's um, transgender, especially if they're earlier on in the transition where the um, gender expression may not be completely matching um, their gender identity. So, you know, someone who maybe, you know, the gender expression is maybe more masculine, but their gender identity is feminine. And so they are choosing to use a female bathroom and they would be questioned or harassed for going into that bathroom. Whereas someone who's cisgender, that just doesn't ever, ever happen. Right. And I, I think the, um, the privilege checklist that you're talking about is a really important document. I had a look at it in the last week and it's really um, it's astonishingly extensive. And I make that point because it's really important to um, acknowledge how much privilege right. is taken for granted. Uh, and it, there's a lot of it. It goes for screens. Um, and I think if I'm not sure if we're going to do show notes, but if we do show notes, I'll include it, a link to it because I think it's really important for people to um, have a look at what they take for granted and also what people who are transitioning or transgender are experiencing on a daily basis, the things that they just have to negotiate to get out the door. You talk in the chapter about the the strong difference between awareness and acceptance of transgender people in the community and some of the issues that they face. Um, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that, particularly in terms of um, preparation for um, working with a, a transgender client or someone who is transitioning, some of the issues that they may discuss in terms of the awareness versus acceptance of, of transgender people in the community. So I'm, I, where I'm going to go with this, I'm not sure if it's exactly where, where you would like me to go, but what it, what, it, what it makes me think of is um, 
you know, how we, how we show up for other people and it's kind of um, not making assumptions. For example, um, my, uh, my, my dear partner who has come along this journey with, with me, <laughs> um, I've said to him many, many times, he, he loves children and he'll, you know, approach someone at the market and be like, oh, what a beautiful baby girl. And, and I'll say to him, well, maybe, you know, the expression, you know, the gender expression of that baby, maybe, I don't know, they're wearing pink or something. And so we assume that they're female. I said, but we don't know that, do we? I said, you know, mm. what would it be like to say, oh, what a beautiful child? Yeah. So it's the idea of gender neutral language. And it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, what, what line of work you're in. Um, it's just kind of, I really think of it as being, being human and just not, not making assumptions again. Um, so the other way that that, that that plays out in real life, you know, you, you see, you see someone buying flowers, um, and maybe it's a, a masculine presenting person buying flowers and you're thinking, Oh, um, how lovely they're, they're buying flowers for their, for their wife. Who knows who their partner is and does it even matter? You know, so it's, mm. it's just, um, kind of retraining our brain to, to think in these ways that, you know, some people I think do resist it because it's kind of like, well, what's wrong with the way I do it? You know, people kind of take offense almost to being um, asked to, to think this way. And I think it's just sometimes simply change. Change can be um, challenging for people and it, you kind of have to think before you speak. Um, when you're not used to to using gender neutral language, but it's really a way to just honor other people, and um, it's it's truthfully more welcoming and kind of invites someone to show up as who they are um, again without making these these assumptions. Right, and so you're you're talking in a lot of ways about what we were something we were talking about before is awareness and presence. Right. And that also, as you say, invites an opening up simply by becoming aware of an assumption that you might have had that was maybe only just out of your conscious awareness. But by taking the step to just change one word actually invites the other person into the, the conversation or the relationship in a way that they might not have been able to before. Right. And I think that actually brings us to something that we talked about again before we started recording was the question of presence. And as you said, how do we show up for other people? And I wonder if you can, we can come to your experience now and you don't need to be specific about the, the people in your life who we're discussing here, but it's more focused on your own experience about how you found was best to be present both personally and in a in a work relationship to create a space of um, openness and of uh, being welcome. Right, and and then to take that a step further, and um, not that everyone needs to think of this this way, but but for me, it became quite personal. And you know, it wasn't just enough for me to kind of know this stuff um, and be accepting of of. Um, these people in, in my life who were transitioning, uh, I really wanted to be supportive of that. And I wanted to, you know, and, and, and what does that mean to be supportive? Like, like, you know, you can just have feelings of, of goodwill and being helpful or, 
you can really step up in a way that helps educate others and really um, moves things forward in, 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 in a way, um, which is really this idea of allyship and, and you know, being an ally. So speaking up on behalf of others and really using that, that privilege that, that I know I have to really take on their struggle, so to speak. So it's not just them having to educate others. Um, it's really, again, using what I would call this everyday privilege that I have to really um, be a voice and almost an advocate for, in, in a way. Um, but really, I think of it more as, as support and active support. So um, things like, you know, when, just to touch back even on the gender neutral language, you know, if people aren't used to hearing gender neutral language or, for example, using um, singular they as a pronoun, um, sometimes, you know, it, what that does is it presents an opportunity for someone to question it um, and ask about it. And then I'm in a position to, to offer some education on that versus backing down from it and, and only, you know, speaking with gender neutral language when I'm, when I'm around people who I believe are, are transgender. I mean, that's just plain silly. Right. It's really kind of taking this, this concept of taking the knowledge and moving from knowledge to action and um, really helping us all come to this deeper understanding. Right. We were talking about uh, language just before as well, that understanding and also bringing, these, um, bringing this language out into the world. And I was talking to you before about a, a quote that I read in one of the, one of the articles that I read recently. It was quite a young person, a high school-aged person, talking about the importance of language and the importance of uh, using the right language to help um, uh, using language as a way to, uh, what I, what I remember us talking about, um, you had read about this young person and I don't remember exactly what they said, but it, but it was kind of, um, by using the right language and, and even using the, the, the right name, um, you know, it's really, you know, if you're that person, you feel seen for who you are and, you know, not having to somehow make excuses or, or, you know, always be put on the spot for having to, to say, well, why my name is different or, or, oh, no, that's not the pronoun I go by. You know, when, when someone shares with you, if they do share with you, this is the pronoun I, I use um, versus prefer, which I will speak about in a second. Yes. Then it is um, incumbent upon us to, to honor that, to see, to see that human being for who they are and that this is a request that they've made and not to use language like, Oh, you know, they prefer to go by this name or this pronoun. It's, it's not a preference. This is about identity. This is who they are. So language is super important on so many levels for really um, helping our fellow humans just be who they are and honoring that. Yes, that's right. And I found the thing that I was going to talk about just then. It was We were talking about a, a quote of a young person who said that language was a way of making things exist or not exist. Yeah. 
and people feel the same about their gender and their own identity. And if you're saying that a particular expression or identity does not exist, it's like you're saying to them that they don't exist. Right. And you're, the last few minutes you've been talking about the, the antidote to that, of using uh, the correct language, so to speak, and, the, and using the knowledge and bringing that into the world through your relationship with other people, which does bring us back to language and pronouns. So you said you wanted to say something else about that, and I was going to ask you about that because you mentioned it very clearly in your chapter as well. Can you talk about the um, a little more about the importance of name and pronouns? So, so I mean, it, it depends on what context. When I wrote the chapter, it was specifically for for coaches, and so I was, you know, thinking very practically about, you know, we have an intake form, for example. And it's, it's these fine uh, details, nuances that really make such a huge difference. So on a form, you know, it's great to know someone's name. You obviously need to know your client's name, but just you know, ask for the name, not legal name or preferred name or even nickname, um, just the person's name. And whatever the name is they provide is the name that they're going to go by. I mean, that's how you're going to, how you're going to refer to them. Um, I can't imagine why as a coach we would need necessarily to ask for gender, but if someone felt that that was necessary, what we would not do, for example, is say gender and then put a little kind of dash for male and a dash for female and expect people to check one of those, which is so uh, common on kind of government forms, but you would just say gender and then let the person fill it in however they, they, they know is right for them. Um, similarly, I think it's really a good practice to ask for pronouns and you could say optional. Uh, some people don't know what to do with that actually, um, depending on their, their exposure to this. But for those who, who, for whom it does matter what pronoun they use, it's an opportunity. It's an invitation to them to, to share that with you. So it's, it's things like this that, again, seem very kind of mundane, but they're actually super important in our day-to-day experience with, with others and how we work with them. Yeah, and I think you're, you're talking again about the, um, the simple tools that we can use as kind of an antidote to privilege right. of things that we assume are going to be quite simple for us to fill out on a form. Right. Uh, and these are, these are simple things that a lot of us would not think of, which is precisely why they're important because they're um, making very clear um, assumptions or not making assumptions about identity and expression of other people. I'm wondering just, is there any other aspect of the psychosynthesis uh, work that you've done in particular that you've used uh, in working in particular with with transgender people that you think would be useful to talk about in the context of people who are listening, who might be coaches, who might be working in other areas of helping professions that might be good for them to know? The, the models that um, are the maps that are super helpful, again, is this um, polarity map, which I already talked about, presence, which is super, super, super important, that might be something I'd have to come back to because I'm sure that there is something else if I really thought about it that has been particularly helpful, but I'm completely drawing a blank right now. No, that's okay. I, my thought is it's it's a particularly interesting question for me because we are in the world of psychosynthesis helping people to 
discover a new uh, way of expressing self and answering the the call to express self in one way or another. Right. And it it seems to me that this is a a really f- fundamental way in which to use that work for people who are who are doing very deep work in identity and expression. It's not so much a map, but um, the transpersonal qualities. I think that is um, so. You know, because when I talk about the the binary versus the fluidity of gender, and I reference qualities, I didn't say transpersonal qualities, but it's it's all these. I, I think helping people, whoever you're you're working with as a coach, kind of looking at issues, life, whatever, through this lens of transpersonal qualities is also really helpful. And I'm not being super articulate with it right now. No, that's okay. I, I think we can we can have this discussion in quite um, in quite general ways. It's I think the overall perspective is really helpful though. That the our our ability to look at things beyond the label, right. for example. Right. That um, we can encourage People, for example, you know, one of the things that you've talked about in the chapter is that um, people are often growing up with um, experiences that are where people are saying or doing things that are quite negative to them, and that this becomes, in some ways, part of their conditioning. That we can we can help people who are bringing this to the, the coaching relationship in whatever way that they're working with it to um, loosen the identification that they've had around that some of those experiences that they've maybe internalized. Um, some, of those, some of those tools, simple tools like disidentification, I think are, yeah, are really yeah. interesting to, to lose some of the negative language that people have internalized around um, gender and their own, even just the fact of questioning gender, I think sometimes is it, people can have quite negative experiences societally around that. Yes, absolutely. I think that is an important, important point to make, the identification, disidentification piece. So, so interestingly, though, I've not, I've not actually worked as a coach. I've not worked with someone transitioning, not to my awareness, anyways. So it's, it's more just um, through my, my work in with my employer at a college and on the personal side with a family member where I have um, been doing these things. So, although the tools still apply, sometimes it's a little different, um, done a little differently. So, yes, absolutely, yeah. Is there any um, are there any things that you can particularly recommend for people to read who are interested in finding out more? Obviously, there are a few things that we've talked about, but other, any other books or articles that you might like to recommend? So actually, um, you know, books, articles, I, the the chapter, you know, I, I reference a ton of different things there, but I did think about this in um, before talking with you, and what I would recommend. Um, so this is actually in the bibliography, but I want to say it out loud. This um, Project Implicit, which has a website, and this is a, a, a tool to help us look at our, our inherent bias, biases. We all have biases. And although, they're, to my knowledge, they don't yet have one for that's probably more gender-specific, um, they, they do have for race, for ability, um, age, I believe. And so it's this great, um, very simple thing you do very quickly from, from their website. I'm actually reading, looking at something as I'm talking, and that's what I'm pausing. But basically, this has to do with implicit social cognition, thoughts and feelings outside of conscious awareness and control. 
and the the test that they have um, basically it's it's something that's um, looking at the speed with which you answer you respond to certain prompts oh that's interesting yeah it's super interesting and since I years ago worked at Harvard University that's how I knew about this because one of the researchers is from Harvard anyways I would just highly recommend that folks take the time to to do this it's not doesn't take a, a lot of time. It's just kind of eye-opening, you know? Mm. And it and it relates to how we view gender and um, people who are gender non-conforming, you know? So there's that. But the other thing that I think is really powerful is hearing um, from individuals who are transgender. And so I would highly recommend two different TED Talks. Uh, one is by... Zen Dao, Z-H-E-N-D-A-O, who is a trans woman, a poet, novelist, and playwright. And it is the most beautiful expression of their experience being transgender. And um, there's a connection to Shakespeare, simply said. Um, so again, I will send you the link. So if you're able to share this with the podcast, folks will be able to access this more directly or more easily. The other one is uh, a poet, Lee McCobie. So Lee is L-E-E, McCobie, M as in Mary, O-K-O-B-E. They are a trans male, and they are a poet and co-founder of an organization called Vocal Revolutionaries. And this is a poem about what it feels like to be transgender. So they are both just um, stunning. They really are amazing, amazing, um, beautifully expressed. And I think it it's a way to almost feel this deeply, which sometimes reading a book um, maybe does, but just seeing these people um, speak this is amazing. As great as reading about the subject is, and for anybody who's uh, looking for some reading, there's... Uh, quite an extensive list of references um, at the end of the chapter, the synthesis of gender in the, in the book Call of Self. There's lots of great stuff there, including a link to Project Implicit, which, as I say, we may be able to link at the bottom of the podcast as well. Yes, and actually, um, Craig, that link that's with the chapter mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be the exact correct link anymore. So I, I'm happy to send you that link as well. Okay, great. That would be great. Okay. Wonderful. Um, are there any other thoughts you have that you'd like to that you'd like to share about your experience with transgender people for people who are that we haven't covered yet? I mean, it's a huge world, so the obvious answer is yes. But what? But if there's nothing that really jumps out at you at the moment, then that's fine. But I just thought, you know, we've we've kind of come to the end of the structured aspect of what we're talking about. But if there's anything yeah, else you'd like yeah. to say, I had an opportunity to. Um, talk about this at a local group in New England, um, the Psychosynthesis Northeast Community. It's a really amazing, vibrant community of psychosynthesis uh, folks. And we, um, in last May, May of 2019, there were a number of folks who wrote chapters who were invited to come and talk about their chapter. Dee Dee was there. And as a part of that, I... Um, did a short exercise to a, a guided visualization basically to help folks who maybe haven't really ever thought about this, just experience um, this idea of 
the fluidity of gender and the 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 the, the range of masculine feminine qualities that we might have. So it's it's fairly short, but again, I I'm I'm not. It, it's more like this, Craig. If you decide, you know, a month from now, that that might be interesting to add. We could always do that. Let's do it. I mean, you know, it's the old the old film guys would always say, you can't use it if you haven't got it. <laughs> okay. All right. So um, I will just read it then. Yeah. Great. Okay. So. Again, this is a guided visualization that I offered at the Psychosynthesis Northeast Community presentation in May of 2019, where Didi and many of the um, different authors of the different chapters in a call, The Call of Self were invited to, to share. And I felt like you know, speaking to the chapter is one thing, but trying to give an experience of this for folks um, might be more helpful. So I will start with it. So I invite you to close your eyes, settle in wherever you are, let's get comfortable, and take a few deep, slow breaths. In and out noticing how this feels in your body. Regardless of your personal gender identification, female, male, gender non-conforming, or transgender, for a moment, notice any feminine qualities that are a part of you. These could be evident in how you dress, speak, or certain mannerisms? How do you express these yin feminine qualities? Are they visible to others? Or are they more of a felt sense within you? What male yang qualities are a part of you? And how do you embody these qualities? Think back over your life. How has your expression of gender changed or remained constant? What has influenced this for you? The gender spectrum is made up of a female and male polarity, yin and yang, with the synthesis of this as fluid movement of everything in between expressed an ever-changing range of masculine and feminine qualities. These qualities have been more or less present, a part of you, throughout your life. Now imagine these feminine and masculine qualities personified. Viewing each other from afar and walking towards each other. Coming together in a clearing, welcoming one another and joining hands as one unbounded by any limiting definition. These qualities are a part of you. They are blended. 
and you are more than your expression of gender. So that's the end of the guided visualization. When I did this at the, um, the with the Northeast community, it really um, there was a lot of conversation as a result of it. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So very simple. Mm, it's very simple, but I think that's its power. I, I particularly appreciate the the yin yang aspects and also the synthesis of it at the end of the holding hands of different qualities. Exactly. That's a that's a wonderful image to take away. Yeah, and sometimes I think personifying things, you know, it, it's it's a way to bring it to life in a different way outside of oneself. So yeah. Anyway, well, thank you for allowing me to do that. Oh, you're very welcome. It was great. I'm very glad we've I'm very glad we've done it. Um, to close, perhaps, can you tell people where they can get in contact with you if they'd like to? Oh, sure. Um, so I, I actually neglected in the beginning to say that um, the, the coaching work and the Reiki work that I do um, is through, uh, I call it uh, Sundara Pathways. Um, Sundara is Sanskrit for beautiful. And Pathways, um, the importance of that for me is acknowledging that we're all on a different path and that it's beautiful in its own right. Um, no matter how bumpy or how many twists and turns we, we take on that path, it is our path. So that's where Sundara Pathways, the naming of that came from. But anyways, I do have a website. It's um, World Wide Web Sundara Pathways, um, com, And email is sundarapathways at gmail.com. I think that's it. Uh, well, Lisa, thank you so much for coming on to the What Matters podcast. It's been fantastic to talk to you. It's been uh, a great conversation, and I think a lot has come up that will help a lot of people. Thank you very much. I hope so, Craig. Thank you very much. It's been, been, a, been a real pleasure. This podcast is brought to you by Synthesis Center San Francisco. In collaboration with the Synthesis Center Amherst, Massachusetts, we offer professional development and personal growth through psychosynthesis. For more information about our board-certified coach training program, workshops for personal and professional growth, as well as how to work with one of our psychosynthesis-trained coaches, visit us at synthesiscentersf.com. Awaken your purpose. Create your life.